So Hannah and I are working on a project that has us revisiting every Pride and Prejudice adaptation available, as well as seeking out some new ones. And we're currently listening to a podcast adaptation produced by the Ballarat National Theatre in Australia. The Pride and Prejudice podcast covers the entire book with actors performing the different characters and ambient sound to help set the scene. This places it somewhere between a dramatised audiobook and a radio play. Now, this podcast started back in May of this year and will be finishing up later on this month. And uh, I have to say, I'm looking forward to seeing how it ends, even though I have a pretty good idea. (laughs) You can check it out for free at prideandprejudice.buzzsprout.com. That's prideandprejudice.buzzsprout.com. Welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the show that explores the lives and works of 18th, 19th, and 20th century women writers. I am your host, Lauren Burke. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman. And this is our final episode of 2020. Hannah, we made it. We made it. We did. (laughs) We did. (laughs) Somehow. Yeah, this week is our annual year-end review of reading, or as some people might call it, some sensible people, best books of 2020. Mm-hmm. So we do do things a little differently here at Bonnets at Dawn, and we will include any book that you will have read, regardless of whether it was published in 2020 or 1820. We'll be sharing our top picks and our listener recommendations, and we are joined by special guest, B. Koch. Now, we have so many awesome books to discuss and a very, very special announcement if you hang around to the end of the show. So let's dive in, okay? So the beginning of the season, we were having conversations about the lack of diversity in the Regency and Victorian eras on screen and in historical fiction. And there are a lot of books that we used as reference that have come up in connection to some of these episodes that we produced. And I'm just going to quickly run through some of those now because they are ever so excellent. So first up, a book that we have talked about quite a bit this season is Black London by Gretchen Holbrook-Grazina. That, I believe, is still um, available for free online. And we've had uh, links posted to that in our Facebook group and also on Twitter as well. She also wrote a book called Black Victorians, which is fantastic. Um In that vein, you should also check out Black and British, A Forgotten History by David Olusaga. Uh, There's also a documentary, which is on BritBox right now for you Americans. And it's so, so, so good. And um, he has also just released a shortened version, like a shortened and simplified version of the book for like middle grade readers around like 10 to 12. So that's awesome. Um, I've also had lots of recommendations this season for Black Tutors by Miranda Kaufman. So I really want to check that out during our break. And um, African Europeans, an untold story by Olivette Otel, which I see a lot of people talking about on Twitter right now. Last but not least, I'm going to recommend a book that I really enjoyed reading this year, which is Mad and Bad, The Real Heroines of the Regency by B. Koch. 
I think a lot of our listeners will appreciate Mad and Bad because it's a pop history. It's a group bio. It has this very strong focus on highlighting women in STEM, people of color, Jewish women, and just it's amazing. It's really good. And there are some very familiar names like Anne Lister. We've got Georgiana, the Duchess of Devonshire in there. Um, Caroline Lamb, who we've talked about a little bit this season, and um, even our darling William Wordsworth makes an appearance. Love that guy. <laughs> B. Koch is our guest today, and you might know her as one of the owners of The Ripped Bodice, one of the only independent bookstores in the US dedicated to romance. And in addition to being a groundbreaking bookseller, B graduated from Yale with distinction as the last Renaissance studies major and received an MA in costume history from NYE. I know it's a big question. And I actually hate when people ask me this question of like what inspired you to write your book. But like, it is a good jump it's off. Good place it does the trick. Mm-hmm. Um, I have have always wanted to write like a pop history book. I just, I didn't know really that that was like a thing you could write. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm like a very classically trained historian, like primary source research is my um, favorite thing in the whole world. (laughs) And I really wanted to write a more academic book but also very aware that the audience for that is probably more limited um, and saw what other people were doing in the pop culture history space, like Tori Telfler with Lady Killers. Um, and I was kind of like, someone needs to do this for a romance because I was selling all these historical romance novels in the bookstore and I would recommend them to people by obviously like talking about what the characters are interested in. A lot of historical romance novels heroines um, are like, they want to be something, which is part of the reason I love them. Um, I especially love a historical romance heroine who wants to be a scientist. That's always been my, like one of my particular loves. Um, So you are a Tessa Dare fan. I am a Tessa Dare fan. (laughs) Yes, Um, I'm also, I I feel like people never, like this is like a criminally underrated series. Kara Elliott um, has- I don't know Kara Elliott. Okay. Kara Elliott, she's not really writing under that name anymore because she writes mysteries under a different name. But okay. they're great Regency romance series, Circle of Sin, and all the women want to be have different academic interests. One of them is a botanist and gets accused of um, <gasps> murdering her husband, poisoning him. And have, perfect. Yeah. Like they're That's all very much up my alley. <laughs> I love that shit. That's why I read historical <laughs> romance. I love. Yeah. So I would recommend that to someone and I would be like, oh yeah, there's this woman, she's a botanist and people would like laugh mm-hmm. at me, you know, like, oh, it's so historically like, <laughs> right. Yeah. I get why you would say that, but obviously there were women interested in botany in the 19th century, <laughs> early 19th century. English. Right. Like, what? <laughs> And then like some people will even go a step further, like Tessa in um, A Week to Be Wicked has an author's note where she uh, flat out says that she was inspired by the real life of Mary Anning, Mm -hmm. uh, who was a 19th century paleontologist. And I just, 
Mary Anning was like always in my mind. I was like, oh, someone needs to write about like all these amazing women who have inspired romance novelists. And that's the origin of Mad and Bad, which um, really started like, I kept this list of romance novel romance novels and then the real person they had been inspired by. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where each of the chapters came from. That makes sense. Um, like a different grouping. And it was, I, I can't believe, I it's still like not even really real to me that it's out in the world and that people are reading it. Um, it is very, very readable. I thought it was like a great guide for like for romance writers too. Like, thank you so much. That I think was awesome, and also for um, I'm gonna recommend it for Jaff writers because we do have a lot of you know Jane Austen fan fiction people love who, it who listen. So I think that actually is like I you know right up their alley as well. I think when you're so steeped in a fandom, which um, I would call our genre a fandom. Um, mm-hmm there's like an insider language. So I wanted to use that language, but I also wanted to explain that language if you're an outsider looking in. Um, And so I think like fan fiction often has that similar like uh, wink to the very insider crowd and then, or at least the fan fiction I read. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You know. And can I say, I like the way that you've paired your subjects together sort of anchoring a chapter with a well-known figure like Jane Austen and then using her as a jump-off point to discuss people like Dido Bell and Princess Caribou. For women in the historical record, like the fact that they're in the historical record is evidence of work, like tons Mm -hmm. and tons of work. And so the way sometimes like we talk about historical women drives me nuts because it's like we have... um, lost all the women around them by focusing on the one and it's like oh well she was a genius well she worked really hard and she surrounded herself with other people who worked really hard and like it's just in our desire to rightfully honor people's achievements we often forget about everyone else around them and how hard they were all working how hurt it i i love yes i love the focus (laughs) as something to think about when talking about someone's the actual thing that they produced. And I could tell there was a very conscious effort to highlight diversity in the Regency era, you know, which which is very tied into what you do, just like the ripped bodice diversity report that you put out each year. Yeah, I think part of everything we do, like part of Matt and Dad, part of the diversity study is just um, adding more information to the conversation. So just, Mm -hmm. we can't like always go from a place of like, oh, well, we don't really have the numbers to know how many women of color, people of color being published. Like, well, A, you do. And B, Mm -hmm. okay, we'll put them all together and then we can talk about it from that place. And I, Mm -hmm. I feel the same way about Regency history. Like every time it comes up on social media, um, Like, actually, (laughs) yeah. Like, are we always going to have to well actually each other? Or can we start from a place of having a little more shared knowledge that there were people of color, that there are people who aren't Christian, that there are people with disabilities, Mm -hmm. that there are people who are members of the LGBTQ 
LGBTQ community living in that time period? Um, or do we have to always be like the fact checker? I, I, I don't know. Yes. And, and that's, I think I'm so curious to see how this um, conversation goes with Bridgerton's. You can tell me about whoever, whoever in the book sort of jumped out to you first, but I was obsessed with Judith. And he is my personal. Um, is she your favorite? Personal favorite, though I've recently been reading, rereading Zofloya, which is Charlotte Dacker's like really fucked up gothic horror novel. <laughs> yes, it is. I might cover, we might cover this on the show soon, actually. It's so much more fucked up than I remembered being from my first reading. Yeah. I'm like, oh my it's God, stop. therapy. God bless you, but you are working some shit out in this writing. Um, Love that. Love when that happens. I know, and her life story is crazy, (laughs) so she did have some shit to work out. Judith, to me, is just, she's the reason I wrote the book, because when I came across her in the historical record, I was like, oh, Judith is a romance heroine. Just like all these other women who I'm inspired by, Mary Ann and Carolyn Herschel, Jane Austen, like any 19th century woman who uh, had a passion and went for it, Judith's passion mm-hmm. was um, Judaism and being an ambassador for Judaism in whatever way that was. She decided to write a cookbook and publish a cookbook um, that made Jewish cooking accessible to an entire new country. Um mm-hmm. And that detail, I was like, oh, my God, I want to read a romance novel. Yeah, it's crazy. Is there a romance novel that's like that? There are a few historical Jewish, historical romance novels with Jewish characters. No one has written one inspired by Judith. I would love them to do so. Um, because it it just felt to me, it was like so familiar. Like, I love baking and cooking of course, if I was a woman in that time period and I'm a Jewish woman, like I would also want to change the perception of my religion and I love food. So I could see that being like a line that I would draw. Like I'm going to publish a cookbook Mm -hmm. to share our food rituals with other people so that they can see that we're actually not that different. And, Mm um, also it's delicious. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but then it kind of occurred to me that there isn't a romance novel inspired by Judith and that there aren't romance novels inspired by a lot of amazing women in the Regency because they've been relegated to the margins of history for any number of reasons, which, right? I mean, I could go on forever, but because they're in the margins, it's like, oh, there's only one of them. Like we don't, it's not really something we need to talk about or study. And even more so for Regency romance novelists, it's like, oh, well, if there's only one, like that's not a historically accurate trend or whatever that we can include. And of course, if you're in Jasna, you know, there are some people who care about historical accuracy above all else, but what they consider historical accuracy is an interesting mix of mm-hmm. accurate and not. Right. Um, yeah. So it's, 
absolutely true. Where I mean, that's very much what we've been battling. I think all on on this entire season, um, of like, oh, you guys need to re. We just I actually was just editing this episode on Phyllis Wheatley, and um, I don't know if you've heard of the new book by Honoré Jeffers, oh. which basically going back into the archive and reevaluating what that, you think about Phyllis. It's like, can we do that for ev- everyone? And also yeah. Phyllis, like, was um, just, <laughs> I get very emotional about Phyllis Wheatley because when That's I was fine. a very odd child, um, I loved poetry and I especially loved female poets. Um, and Emily Dickinson was like one of my favorites. And I remember my mom gave me um, Emily Dickinson books and would really like encourage me to learn more about Emily's life. My mom believed that Emily was a lesbian like long before that was accepted fact. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember her telling me that and I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Unfortunately, she's dead now, so she can't get her comeuppance, but she was like, Emily's definitely lesbian. And she also gave me Phyllis Wheatley's book. um, And it was part of her like encouraging me to understand that like the canon of poetry is like set by people and that there are these people also mm-hmm. writing amazing poetry who like aren't included in what like I, a young white woman in Chicago would have like learned about. Um, and it was just mm-hmm. like so important to her that like I learned about Phyllis Wheatley from a really, really young age and like understood that who was allowed to write, who was allowed to publish was always political. And mm-hmm. it, it, the existence of Phyllis Wheatley doesn't mean that there weren't other black women writing poetry at that time who didn't get published in the way she did. And I just think that's really important that that was like a part of my education from a very young age. And I think like Phyllis Wheatley, I I think kind of dovetails nicely into the Mary Seacole, um, Phyllis Wheatley, Mm. Emily Dickinson kind of comparison uh, dovetails nicely into the Mary Seacole, uh, Florence Nightingale comparison. And just this idea that if we're talking about one woman, woman, it almost like negates her accomplishments to discuss another woman. Yes. I think probably also what Jasmine deals with a lot in like the edification of Austin herself and like can we talk about Austin and other writers or can we only talk about Austin and do we like somehow dishonor Austin by talking about other authors so Mm -hmm. that's very much part of the debate about women of the regency it's like Mm -hmm. literally (laughs) they try they put up a statue of Mary Seacole um, outside a training hospital in London and the Florence Nightingale fucking society like protested it did they? I didn't know that. Like, and published like all these articles. They're like, we've already got one. Well, they were basically saying that Mary Seacole's nursing um, accomplishments and achievements do not match Florence Nightingale's. And by elevating Mary Seacole to the same level of Florence Nightingale, you are dishonor- dishonoring Florence Nightingale's achievements. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? That Whoa, is so that is wild. insane and ass backwards. And it was like published all over that the place. That's crazy. Yeah. I really was so surprised to find that. That actually that is wild. When people <laughs> ask me what is the most surprising 
as I think you've been researching this book, that should be my answer. That the Florida yeah. Nightingale Society is out protesting Mary Seacole's statue. Now, uh, what's new at the store? What's going on with the ripped bodice? Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, the holidays are coming up, which is like the insane, most insane time. Um, so we've been putting out kind of all of our new uh, products. <laughs> so we mm-hmm. have um, our new seasonal trope tea, which is you look hot in that flannel. Mm-hmm. Nice. Thank you. Um, and there actually is a special holiday mad and bad item. There's a, we designed a special bandana top pink to match the cover. Um, it's on our Instagram Excellent. if you want to see pictures of it. And if you buy a copy of mad and bad, the bandana comes along free with all copies Ooh. while supplies last over the holiday season. Mm-hmm. Um, after the holidays, we will be getting ready for the diversity report, which comes out in February. Uh, we will okay. also be getting ready or actually it comes out in March in February, the, um, uh, uh, what are we calling them? Ribbies, the romance, um, awards come out. Mm-hmm. This will be our second year doing that. Um, that's exciting. Yes, that is very exciting. That was a really fun thing to add, um, last year. And I hope as we continue to grow that it also um, continues to grow because with RWA um, imploding, there was no um, romance awards last year. And it's just this genre, like is so amazing. It really deserves all the awards. Um, There's also another, I don't know if you saw this, but readers created an award this year. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, that's cute. Not adorable. Um, so nice. And we were like so thrilled to see that because readers have a different perspective than people in the romance publishing industry, which we all are. Mm-hmm. So I love that that's a different award for um, readers to be involved in. I'm trying to think if I have anything we can announce, but everything is just. I'm sure you can announce that. Well, It'll be late, but the subscription service, will that still sure. be happening? Yes, that'll that... absolutely still be happening. So that's going to be an ongoing thing. Read, romance, repeat. Okay. <laughs> which I love. Leah came up with that. Um, that is a monthly romance subscription box, which is something we've been asked for since we literally opened. And it took really? us long to get together. Can you sign up for like three months or one month yes, at a time? you can or... pick as many months as you want to sign up for. The more months you sign up for, I believe that it's discounted. So like if you, if you sign up and pay in advance, you get a a pretty good discount for doing that. Um, But yeah, you can do just one month or two months or three months. And it's, we've been seeing a lot of people sending it as um, a holiday gift, which I think is an excellent use of the read romance repeat box. So as you know, this episode is dedicated to book recommendations. Can you hit us with a few? Well, I feel like one that would probably be a sure bet for people who enjoyed this podcast is the Lady Sherlock series. Has that been recommended? Ooh, that has not. Tell me about it's that. It's by Sherry Thomas. It is one of my favorite all time. I can't even tell you how good these books are. They're so fucking good. <laughs> they are about a female... <laughs> Sherlock. They're set in Victorian England. So there are lots of historical details. She, um, I I don't know officially, but she 
you know, has, it's on the autism spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what her official designation is, but it's just a really beautiful story. The way Sherry like makes Sherlock so fresh. And I, I just love what she's doing with it. I think the fifth book mm-hmm. is coming out, which is, Okay. It's a, All right. It's got a few. It's to been read. a good. Yeah. I mean, the first two books have been on the bestseller list at our bookstore, like since we opened. They're so popular. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those would be definite winners with your listeners. That sounds good. Um, Is there anything that you read while researching Madame Bad that you particularly loved or were really into? Oh, like primary or secondary? I mean, honestly, both. Okay. Either. Uh, Primary, uh, yeah. th- this is earlier, but Georgiana, uh, Duchess of Devonshire's The Sylph. Mm-hmm. Wow. Really? Not okay. what I expected it to be. And then I read um, Caroline Caroline Lamb's uh, Glenn, Glenn Gleveron. I don't know how to say it. Glenn, I know exactly what you're talking I don't I know. know how to pronounce anything. I just read. So I don't ever speak. <laughs> so that to read uh, The Sylph and then Caroline, it was like just a really interesting, they're talking about the same thing. You, you know, it's like one of those, mm-hmm. like everything is new again. Everything is old again. Like nothing ever changes. And mm-hmm this brilliant woman and her niece experienced very similar things and wrote about it in this very um, biting way. And it's just the whole thing. I really enjoyed reading those books back to back. I read, I read child Harold and like, I've read other Byron stuff like poems and shit, Um, which I, and I, I, he's a great writer. He's so clever. But to read mm-hmm. Caroline's rebuttal of his writing, really, I yeah. thought, put their relationship into a new perspective for me. And I just really enjoyed it. And then Georgiana's story is just not that dissimilar than Caroline's, even though they've been treated differently by history. And so the sylph really does kind of read as like a proto um, version of what Caroline eventually writes. And we are back. Lauren, I was laughing so hard when you said, I don't usually like the question, what inspired you to write your book? But what inspired you to write your book? <laughs> that is comedy gold. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Asking those hard-hitting questions. Right? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to say like a big yes about the comment just around uh, people who are all there for historical accuracy and then not acknowledging the areas that they want to overlook because it's convenient or enjoyable or more comfortable for them. Mm -hmm. And I say that as someone who is a reenactor and just because I am interested in the 14th century and the experiences of women in the 14th century, it doesn't mean that I embody or identify with their ideals and I also refuse to be treated by anyone from the 21st century as if we're doing anything other than play pretend Mm -hmm. because and I think I think it's probably different in terms of like the woman 
man dynamic in the I want to say like the Regency reenactment or like any anywhere it kind of intersects with Austin because I feel mm-hmm. like it's more female dominated but let me tell you that's not right. the case with medieval reenactment mm-hmm. and I have had some terrible experiences and some really awful things said to me because I was wearing a woolen kirtle that no one would ever have said to me if I was wearing just in modern day clothes so yeah and I just I want to I'm gonna say it right I don't want to hear from anyone drinking afternoon tea at Jane Austen event about historical accuracy. It was invented <laughs> in 1840. Jane Austen died 23 years before afternoon tea was invented. So if that is the hill you're going to die on, fuck off saying anything about people of colour. Wanting right. to have anything to do with your space. It's ridiculous. Your bucket doesn't hold any water. Tea gate. Tea gate. <laughs> this is my Boston <laughs> tea party. I agree with that. You can't just sort of use historical accuracy, you know, when it's convenient for you to reinforce, to reinforce, you know, racist values. Mm -hmm. This is like you said, it's play pretend. Yeah. Um, You're enjoying the thing. It's not historically accurate. And that's fine. You can enjoy it and other people can enjoy it as well. (laughs) We use in the group that I am a member of when it's not a pandemic uh we use like the four-step rule and the argument is like i'm never gonna be like the real thing like i'm never going to get it that authentic because Mm -hmm. like i'll look different my hair will be like ever so slightly different even like unless i were to weave my own fabric and like dye it with onions or whatever you know but you're kind of going for like a four-step rule so from four steps away you want someone to believe it Mm -hmm. and that's good enough and I just wish that people would like bring that to Austin or like the Regency or just all history, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when it's sense. being interpreted and enjoyed and people are trying to find pleasure in it. Yeah. So I really loved this interview. I loved hearing about the book and the shop. And Lauren, I really want us to go, which means you can't go without me. Okay. Like, I, I won't. want us to go together. We will. I I cannot wait for this pandemic to be over so we can travel again. And trips to California and Cincinnati are on my bucket list. Uh, so I want to start off my best books of 2020 by saying what my worst book of 2020 was. Oh, wow. OK. Going in <laughs> negative. OK, I like it. I Interesting. I've already said how much I hated this book on this show. I, I think you have. I read Amsterdam by Ian McEwan <laughs> at the start of this year and I threw it out like when I finally finished it and it was such an effort and also we read it because uh, I went to Amsterdam for my birthday and so my two friends got it as well and we all tried to read it and I was the only one that managed to finish it (laughs) and I wish I hadn't but the best book I read all year for the exact like reasons that I hated Amsterdam Mm -hmm. um, the best book I read all year was absolutely Contending Forces which we did cover in last Mm -hmm. week's episode. And I know it seems like I'm pulling a fast one by suggesting a book that we've already discussed, but I just loved it so much. I think you should go and listen to that episode. I just feel like it really opened my eyes to the fact that my jam is romance and social commentary. Mm -hmm. It just, it tracks with what I like. I love Austin. I love Gaskell. Hopkins is fantastic. It was a real eye opener for me. 
Um, I also wanted to shout out to my good friend Zainab Akhtar, who will never hear this because she does not listen to the show, but she is doing just the best work in comics at the moment. She runs uh, Shortbox, which is, and I always describe this wrong, it's not a subscription service, but quarterly she puts out this like curated box of comics. And you will always know what's in the box because she like shares it. But she just works with like the most interesting array of talent just from all around the world, people at different stages of their careers. And it's just been really exciting to see her take it to where it is. And I thought that Charlotte May's charming dog adventure comic was delightful. So thank you, Zainab, for everything you do. I should check that one out. You should. It's really cute. And she does like all ages as well. So mm-hmm. if you just like are interested in comics, they're short, like just really beautiful, nicely printed, lovely stuff. Well, speaking of comics, I really enjoyed this sort of um, it's like a hybrid comic children's book called Boulevard by Sean Rubin. And um, it's just like a really sweet story. I, you know, I had it for Audrey. She might be a little too young for it. But, you know, I I just read it and enjoyed it on my own. I was like, okay, well, I'll just finish this alone. Um, But it's about a dinosaur that lives in New York City and everyone around him is just too busy and like caught up in their own lives to like even notice that he's there, Um, except for his next door neighbor who starts getting in his business. And it's very charming and it's just like a really lovely, large hardback, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just like a really good one for the kiddos or for adults who enjoy children's books and illustration. The illustrations are gorgeous. I highly, highly recommend it. There is another book that I have actually been dying to talk about on the show. And that one is called Safe Passage, which is a memoir by Ida Cook. And I actually think I found out about Ida Cook from a tweet that um, either B or Leah posted from the Ripped mm-hmm. Bodice, actually. So thank you to those guys for putting me on to Ida Cook. Um, Cook was born in 1904 in England, and she had an older sister named Mary Louise, and they were extremely close. And not only were they like BFF, they were also co-workers, and um, they worked in the civil service in London. And they didn't have very much money, but what little they had went into purchasing records and attending the opera. And they loved opera so, so much. Like they saved all of their pennies. Like they would eat just like bread and water for like weeks on end, save all their money. And they traveled like overseas to attend festivals and concerts and whatnot. And that doesn't sound like such a big deal now, but like the Daily Mail actually covered their first trip to New York City because it was like, these girls are just going to New York to see an opera. That's crazy. Well, can you imagine how long it would have taken to get there and just like the the cost and yeah totally it was huge i mean like even the opera stars like they would like hear about them in advance and hear Mm -hmm. like how like the lengths that they were going to to attend the operas and like they became friends with them and um i don't know ida and mary louise were just so cute too like because they also didn't have a ton of money they were like making all of their own clothes to go to the opera and yeah they're just they were really adorable but in the 1930s they actually began helping Jewish families escape the Nazis and immigrate to the UK by attending concerts in Germany 
And then they would sneak like money and jewels like out of Germany and into the UK to help these families establish like the financial security requirements mm. for immigration. And um, I think they helped around 29 families. It's amazing. It's crazy. And to fund all of these missions, Ida began writing romance novels under the name Mary Birchall for Mills and Boone. And I have different numbers on how many she wrote. Some say like 112 and others 125. I think there were also some like Westerns and other things under different pen names like smushed in there. But either way, it's a lot of books. And um, she also helped establish the Romantic Novelist Association and was the president between 1966 and 1986 when she died. I would love to do a full episode on the Cook Sisters, and I'm hoping that we can whip something up in the next year or two. Um, There's supposed to be a new biography, which I think was supposed to drop in 2020, and I'm guessing it was pushed because of COVID. Yeah. And then there was also supposed to be a film coming out about them. So I wonder if if the biography if they've just delayed both. I'm sure they've delayed both. So you know, stay tuned. Hopefully, we will dive in to those guys a little bit deeper over the next couple of years. And I really want to read some of Ida's romance novels. You can find them on Abe really easily. I would love that. I love books with kissing in. <laughs> She's a really engaging writer too. Um, like everything I just told you about the memoir is on the back cover. Wow. Um, so, you know, don't think that I've just told you like the whole yeah, entire yeah. story. You know, <laughs> like she's actually such an engaging and interesting writer. I loved like just hearing about her love of music, mm-hmm. just attending all these concerts in London and just like the scene in London and the people that they would run into. It was just it's a really, really charming book. Um, Another sister duo that I would love to do an episode on are Alice and Phoebe Carey. Now, Alice was born in 1820 and Phoebe in 1824, and they lived on a farm outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, at the same time as Harriet Beecher Stowe. It's a little bit of crossover there. I know, right? Of course, Harriet had to come up on the last episode of the year. So their young lives really remind me somewhat of the Bronte sisters, So they had, you know, their siblings died of tuberculosis. Uh, Their mother also passed. They really escaped into literature. They comforted themselves in their, like, writing. And they published an impressive collection of, like, combined poetry. Um, Alice also wrote several short story collections called Clovernook or Recollections of Our Neighborhood in the West. So... I read one of the short stories with the Harriet Beecher Stowe House book club this year from Clovernook, and it just really stayed with me. I thought it was really odd at the time, but it's one of those things like I just keep like thinking about. I'll be doing dishes and I'm like, what was going on in Clovernook? What was that? I have that all the time with Samuel Beckett and Ping. (laughs) I wish I had never read that. haunts you i i think it just was it's an interesting short story i honestly i think we should like maybe cover them a little bit next year the poetry i find to be a little hit or miss um there's a lot of it Mm -hmm. some of it actually does remind me quite a bit of uh sarah piott who also was down there um just across the border and actually she lived in cincinnati for a bit as well if there are any carry experts out there that want to chat please just you know hit us up 
Now, let's get on to all of your recommendations, listeners, because there are so many. And um, okay, let's jump in here. So Adriana said that she has read 118 books this year, which she's like really beaten me. (laughs) I'm not even close, I don't think. Um, And Adriana recommends The Tenant of Wildfell Hall, one of our favorites, Howard's End, Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day, Magpie Murders, Little Fires Everywhere, The Bookshop on the Corner, and that's just to name a few. She's got more. But those are all good. Those are all very bonnet picks, aren't they? Loads of you have been following along or catching up with Bonnets at Dawn Read Long, so honourable mention goes to Agnes Grey by Anne Bronte, whose centenary we celebrated in season 4.3. And if you're looking for more Anne Bronte in your life, Allegra, just like Adriana did, included The Tenant of Wildfell Hall as one of her top books of 2020. And you can hear our thoughts about that in the feels like forever ago, season two, episode five. And shout out to North and South, which comes up every year, came up a couple of times this year and was Austin's first read of the quarantine. And if you've not read that, then we did a read along, I think, in season one. It was so long ago, we actually oh weren't God. labeling the seasons. It's just called like Gaskell One. <laughs> I couldn't figure out when we did that, but we have done a whole North and South read along. We can have Google indeed. It. Yeah. And once you've read North and South, then you can read Contending Forces, which is my top book of the year. And it yeah. all comes full circle. It really does. So, um, If you haven't read any Wollstonecraft, then maybe 2021 is your year because she was a big player in this year's best of recommendations as well. So, of course, Vindication came up more than once, but we also had two recommendations for her letters from Norway, Denmark and Sweden. Allegra said the letters were particularly meaningful because she has lived in and visited some of the places she mentions. She said, of course, they are much changed now. Sometimes they are hilariously the opposite of how Wollstonecraft describes them. But still, the descriptions of the beauty of nature is something that totally resonates with me and the way that I feel when I experience it, too. And the indomitable Romantic Outlaws, The Extraordinary Lives of Mary Wollstonecraft and Her Daughter Mary Shelley by Charlotte Gordon came up as well. I really love this book. And I think this is one that we're going to be talking about for many, many years. And I'm still on the adapt this, adapt this book train. (laughs) And I'm still on the, like, I'll read it train. I almost (laughs) took it out from the library, (laughs) but I didn't. Do it. So speaking of Mary Shelley, I think Matilda was my most surprising book of 2020. Yeah. I did not see any of that shit coming. Oh, weird <laughs> book. And I'm so glad that uh, we we were putting up a house guest at the time and she had to listen to it with me. And I was like, oh, we're <laughs> listening to this for my show. She's like, wow, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the bit when, yeah, I can't. There were so many bits where we were just like, did that happen? Is this a fever dream? Caitlin wants to know why there aren't many journals or letters adapted into audiobooks. And I've got to agree. I feel like 
like Caitlin says, epistolary fiction really would lend itself really well to audio. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, like imagine having someone like Juliet Stevenson reading out selected Austin letters or, you know, having like a team of actresses reading out some of the Bronte's letters or someone reading Alcott's diaries. Like those are absolutely audio books that I would purchase. Maybe we can do that, Lauren. I mean, we have kind of talked about trying to do that behind the scenes so i would be down we said it here first okay (laughs) and speaking of austin we got recommendations for rose saratova's continuation of the watsons jane austen at home by lucy worsley the other bennett sister by janice hadlom recipe for persuasion by sonali dev and sarah said that she could not recommend the particular charm of miss jane austen and its sequel the unexpected past of miss jane austen by cass grafton and ada bright enough and for the bronte fans there were heaps of great suggestions longtime favorite of the show the bronte cabinet by deborah lutz and bronte's mistress by finola austen made the cut this year um you guys are going to remember finola from our agnes gray read along this year that was uh season 4.3 episode 2 awesome interview awesome book definitely check those out if you have not done so already lisa recommended sarah perry's the essex serpent and Melmoth for fans of the Brontes and Gothic literature. Those two have been like on my list forever. I <laughs> thank you for the reminder, Lisa, because I really actually need to get on that. Um, and Taylor recommended Burning Brightly, which is a retelling of Jane Eyre, but set in space. So yes, I would like to read this right now. And of course, there was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of love for Isabel Greenberg's Glass Town, a graphic novel exploring the juvenilia of the Brontes. Isabel joined us in Haworth for our Understanding Emily live event, which you can hear in season three, episode four and five. I promise this list is not just a plug like our archive, (laughs) but what can I say? We've got over 145 episodes. We've we've so many. (laughs) Neve said that it saved her in March and recommended it as a palate cleanser for people who want to get back into reading. Mary recommended it as a great book for younger readers. And incidentally, Glastown inspired Kirabel to pick up the selected letters of Charlotte Bronte. And if that is not a recommendation, I don't know what is. Those selected letters are banging. (laughs) it's hard because, you know, we know Charlotte's a hard figure, right? We're actually Mm -hmm. divided on her on this show, right? But sometimes when I have trouble with Charlotte, I pick up her letters and then I go, oh, and I start crying. One of my work colleagues was like, it came, (laughs) the Charlotte Bronte thing came up today. She was like, why? What's the problem? And I was like trying to put it into words and everything (laughs) I said sounded really petty. Just, and because I've watched so much Keeping Up With The Kardashians (laughs) over (laughs) lockdown. I was like trying to describe this argument and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is... Which, like, Kardashian is Charlotte? Uh, Kim Kardashian. She's Kim. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anne Pratchett's The Dutch House came up again and again, as did Maggie O'Farrell's Hamnet. Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman and Sally Rooney's Normal People and My Year of Rest and Relaxation, which Alethea keeps texting me, by the way, that I need to read this book. And Alethea, I will respond to your text, I swear, (laughs) at some point. Um, These all made comebacks. These have all been um, sort of like the bonnets faves, I think, for the past couple years. 
Yeah, I think my rest was my year of rest and relaxation my top book last year. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And then I lent my copy to someone. I don't know who it was. Mm. It wasn't me. No, sorry. It should have been. I think them. it was Shiloh. <laughs> I think I had to lend it to her because she was the one that I told to read Amsterdam. <laughs> so I was like, you can I'm take sorry, this for your flight home. home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Art recommended The Lady from the Black Lagoon by Mallory O'Mara, saying, It's a nonfiction book about Millicent Patrick, who was the artist that created the creature from the Black Lagoon design, as well as some other iconic monsters. For years, she didn't get credit for her work, and this book helps uncover that. It's also part memoir as it explores the author's journey into discovering who Patrick was. It's such a great book with a powerful message. So crazy that he left this um, comment. It was definitely going to be on my list to recommend to Bonnet's listeners. Um, I like I just finished it when he posted that comment. It was insane. I really love books where it's like a biography and then also memoir. I think Mm -hmm. if that's something that you're interested in. I think last year as well, plugged Mrs. Gaskell and me. And yeah, that's a really good example of that. And Lan said that she has been all about the feminist fairy tales this year, recommending The Wind's Night Trilogy by Catherine Arden, Elizabeth Lim's Blood of the Stars, which is a retelling of the Ballad of Mulan, and also Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. And actually, I have a Naomi Novik book that I think I started reading this year. It mm-hmm. might have been last year, and halfway through I just left it at my grandma's house. And then we just got it back so I can finish it over Christmas. But (laughs) honestly, I felt like a five-year-old. She was like, oh, Hannah, you left your book about dragons here. (laughs) So embarrassing. And you're like, which book about dragons? Yeah, which book about dragons? Anyway. So yeah, so, so you guys sent in so many great recommendations and if you want to see the rest, because there are just like pages and pages and pages of them, then you should check out the threads on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and I think you will definitely find inspiration for 2021 reading. Now, speaking of books to read in 2021, Hannah, we have a little announcement to make. Finally! <laughs> we do! So we are very excited to finally share that our first book, Why She Wrote, A Graphic History of the Lives, Inspiration, and Influence Behind the Pens of Classic Women Writers is coming out in April from Chronicle Books. Why She Wrote is a deep dive into why some of our favorite authors put pen to paper told through essays and comics it's beautifully illustrated by the wonderful kaylee bales and we cover austin and the brontes of course naturally and louisa may alcott and elizabeth mm-hmm. gaskell and wollstonecraft and anne radcliffe and alice dunbar nelson and susan farr and francis burney and elizabeth barrett browning and George Eliot, and Frances Harper, and Beatrix Potter, and Anne Lister. And we are just so relieved to finally be able to talk about it. Yeah, because we were basically in a self-enforced lockdown in 2019, Mm -hmm. researching it and writing it, and really looking forward to getting back out into the world in 2020. I know, right? (laughs) everyone's like oh I wrote a book in lockdown I'm like I'm the fucker that did that last year (laughs) (laughs) 
So we are looking forward to telling you more about it. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about our own experiences as writers in season five, season five next year, which is crazy. Um, But there are two things that you can do right now. So you can dive into the Bonnets archive and listen to our episodes on these amazing writers if you haven't done so already. And two... Most excitingly, I think you can pre-order a copy of the book from Chronicle right now. You can pre-order it from like a bunch of other places. However, mm-hmm. however, and here's the deal. If you pre-order it from Chronicle, you can get 30% off with the code BONNETS. True so it's just story. for our listeners. It's just for you listening right now. Not you, mum, because you're not listening. Right, but you listening right you now. You listening. I think it's through February. Oh, that through code February as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Should, the code is not forever. It. It's not forever. Oh, do you mean until February? Until February, yeah. Oh. For yeah. English listeners, through sounds like it just means February, but no, it actually until means February. Until. <laughs> Transnational banter. Transnational banter. <laughs> <laughs> so that is it from us. For this year, which is crazy. This year is like nearly over. Can you believe it? 2020. What a what a year. I feel like last year we were like, I'm so tired. I because know. of the book. And now this year it's like, I'm so tired. <laughs> we didn't we didn't even know, I have to say. Um before we leave you guys, I'm gonna give you a, a couple of reminders. One, we do have a shop on Teespring. Oh yeah. I will repost links to that shop. Actually, my bonnets at dawn mug just arrived. Oh, did Today. it? It's charming. We will be back in spring of 2021 with our shiny new book and our shiny new season. And Hannah, if the good people want to find out more about either of those, where can they find us on the internets? You can find us as always on Instagram and Twitter at bonnets at dawn. You can email us at bonnets at dawn at gmail.com or you can join our wonderful Facebook group by searching for Bonnets at Dawn. Like and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, you guys. See you soon. Have a happy end of the year. Yes. Oh, my God. Did I sounded hysterical? Bye. (laughs) I think we're just like, we can't wait for 2020 to be over. Bye. Oh my god, we have so many of so many book recommendations on here. (laughs) Amazing. So okay, so here's some that I haven't read that I really, really want to read that I'm just I'm just pulling from this list. So Amanda, um, oh, she talks about Miss Bunkle's book by D.E. Stevenson. I have read that and I love it. And we should we should do something on that, by the way. But um, All right, I'll go because I've got mine. Yeah, you go. Oh, man. So Rachel recommended that Mommy and Louisa book, which I think... Mm. Comes that comes up, up a lot. lot. And then mm-hmm. also this like really fascinating sounding book by Christopher Tolkien, where he like traces his father's writing of the Lord of the Rings. And uh, I think it's called like Return of the Shadow, Treason of Isengard and the War of the Ring and Sauron Defeated. And it's just like about the creative process. Mm-hmm. Amanda also recommends My Life in France by Julia Child. And that's uh, 
I'm, I'm really I've I've fallen down a hole of Americans uh, moving to France and like posting their experiences on TikTok. Mm hmm. And I just really fancy like moving to France. Isn't there a Russell Crowe film about that? Is there? I'll look it is up. Is it called if like there the is. Good Year or something? Listen, if there, is, I'm gonna I find it. This it. is this is where I'm at in my space. I don't speak French. Yes, you as you well know. <laughs> it's, it's embarrassing. Plat de jour. <laughs> don't include that. That's not what you sound like. <laughs> no, it's it's pretty spot on. I think. Neve recommended Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed, and Amber has been telling me about this book, and I really need to read it. That I feel like loads good. of people were talking about Howard's End this year as well. Yes, they were. I wasn't, there's there's I a mean, Benedict Cumberbatch of that, isn't there? There's a Matthew McFadden. Oh, wait. You're thinking of Parade's End with oh, Benedict Cumberbatch. I am. Yeah, different end. <laughs> Are they different not the end. same? Not the same end. 